Well, we have an awesome speaker today. She is uh, one of our leadership pastors from our main campus at Hillside in Seoul. Uh, she is an anointed, beautiful lady. She's one of my best friends and maid of honor. And so I'm so excited to introduce her. I'll put your hands together. Let's welcome up Pastor Anita Neufeld. Good to see uh, everyone, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces. Uh, it's good to be here. I'm here with my husband, John, who was leading us in praise. Um, as Pastor Mina mentioned, I am uh, the Executive Director of Leadership at New Philly, and I'm from the Hillside Campus in Seoul. Uh, this is my second time preaching at Seaside. Um, been here a few times, um, but... Right now in Seoul, I'm doing a sermon series on the book of Philippians, and so today I'm going to continue with it, and today's going to be the third of uh, my messages so far, Uh, but before we get into today's message, um, I'm just going to give you a brief background um, on the book of Philippians uh, to give you a better context for for my message today, and also give a brief summary of my previous sermon uh, so that you can better understand today's message. Um, so we'll start with a background, um, with the book of Philippians. Um, Philippians is actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And, uh, those who are not familiar with Paul, Paul used to be known as Saul and he was a persecutor of Christians until he had a radical encounter with the Lord, a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, and it says in the Bible that, you know, scales fell from his eyes. And all of a sudden, there was like a conversion of Saul, and God gave him a new name, Paul. And he went from being a persecutor of Christians to becoming a Christian who was being persecuted. So this is the man that is writing to the church in Philippi. And... Um, In fact, as he's writing this letter, he's actually writing it from prison. So he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. And at the time he's writing this letter, um, he had already been in prison for already two years. Uh, He's still facing his trial. His persecutors, his uh, accusers are not pressing the trial yet. So he's still waiting right now for his trial. But he's been in prison for two years. Um, But he's in prison because basically he's preaching the gospel. He's going around teaching and preaching the Bible. Um, And so he's in prison. But then he writes this letter to the church in Philippi to encourage them. He's the one in prison, but he's writing to the church in Philippi saying, don't worry. It's okay that I'm in prison. It's actually really good. Uh, Because you know what? Even here in prison, the gospel is being advanced. It's crazy. Like this man, he's put in prison and he can face death anytime. But he's not afraid. He's like, I don't care. I'm just going to continue to preach the gospel. And he's actually writing to the church to encourage them that it's okay that he's in prison right now. Right? And it's really interesting how, you know, we look at the modern-day, you know, full-time ministers who raise support. And Apostle Paul was that sort of man. He's like a full-time support-raising minister. And the church in Philippi are his financial supporters. And so they're partners in this ministry, right? And, you know, 
Apostle Paul, he's all about preaching the gospel because the gospel came to him and transformed his entire life, and therefore he's dedicated his entire life for the advance of the gospel, right? And this church is actually partnering with him so that the gospel would be preached. And he's in prison right now, uh, but nothing's going to stop him. And uh, that's a brief, brief background of Philippians and how it came about. Um, but I'm going to go into a brief summary of my previous message. And my previous message was called Make Much of Jesus. And it was from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Um, and I mentioned in that sermon that Paul rejoiced even though he was in prison because he was a man who made much of Jesus no matter what the circumstance. And um, like I said, um, he's in prison he probably shouldn't be teaching, and he probably shouldn't be preaching the gospel, but he's doing it nevertheless because his whole outlook in life changed because of the gospel. He's saying, you know what, I've been saved by grace, and therefore I can't stay silent. You know, just a minute ago we were singing that song, I can't stay silent. I've tasted and seen how good you are. I can't keep silent, you know? And that's sort of the outlook of life that Paul had. And he's saying, and in verse 12 it actually says, his imprisonment, actually served to advance the gospel, right? And the gospel spread throughout the prison. And the apostle was saying, you know what? If I can't go to the people to preach the gospel, I'm going to bring the gospel to the people that come to me, right? And the people that had access to Paul were the prison guards, And so he's already in prison for two years, right? But he wasn't like, oh, God, get me out of here. When am I going to get out? I need to preach the gospel. But in every circumstance, he was a man who made much of Jesus. He said, I don't care if I'm in prison. I don't care if I'm in chains. You know what? I'm going to take this as an opportunity to actually preach the gospel. And so if I can't go to the people and the people are coming to me, I'm going to preach it to the prison guards. You know, and eventually over two years, you can imagine the number of people that might have tended to him. He preached to the few, and that and and the word spread throughout the entire imperial guard. That's a thousand, like more than thousands of prison guards. The news spread, the good news spread to thousands of guards because he made much of Jesus in whatever circumstance he was in. And then I also mentioned in my uh, previous sermon that um, the reason why he could face persecution and he can face um, just even the threat of death and still rejoice was because his perspective on life was completely different. Um, his outlook of life was re- basically verse 21, and it says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For him, he knew that, you know, if I die, I don't care. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus forever. So he's like, he's not afraid of death, right? But at the same time, he's not a man that has a death wish. He's not like, yeah, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. My life sucks right now. It sucks in prison. I can't do anything. So you know what? I'm okay with dying. It wasn't that he was okay with dying. He was understanding that even if he were to die, he's going to be with Jesus forever. So it's okay. He's not afraid. At the same time, he knew that to live is Christ. He meant by living, he meant. My life belongs to the Lord. My life's purpose and goal is to preach the gospel, is to make Jesus known. So if I live, it's a benefit to other people, and it's a benefit to Christ. Therefore, I want to live. He didn't have a death wish, but he had things in the right perspective. To him, to live 
was Christ and to die was gain, right? And so this was all possible because he was a man who literally experienced the power of the gospel. And he lived as a man who knew that. He didn't just say, oh, yes, Lord, you you are great. You converted me. Now I see things. And he didn't go about his life the same. He didn't continue to persecute Christians. He was transformed. His entire life took a different route. You know, and today I want to continue uh, with the message that the Apostle Paul wants to give to the church of, in Philippi, but also to us today. And so if you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. Verses 27 to 30. Philippians, it's near the back. Chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. And let's read it together. I'll be reading from the ESV. So if we can read it together. One, two, three. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Amen. And the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is A Life Worthy of the Gospel. A Life Worthy of the Gospel. And the message I have today is really simple, and it's a one-point sermon, all right? So you can't miss the point of today's sermon, okay? It's a one-point sermon, and my message, my main message today, as you can see from the title, is that God is calling us only to let the manner of our life be worthy of the gospel. So up to this point in the letter verses 1 all the way to 26, Paul's giving his supporters, in a sense, his supporters an update of his situation. And he's saying, you know, I'm in chains, and and this is what's happening, but it's okay because the gospel is continuously advancing. It's okay. But now, at, at verse 27, this is where he turns his update into an actual exhortation, and he's wanting to teach the church something. He's not just giving an update, but he's trying to teach them something based on everything that he gave an update on. Okay. Um, and he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? In the Greek, it literally translates into only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. And, you know, later in Philippians in in chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And here he's saying, only let the way that you behave, let people know that you actually are citizens of heaven. You know, I'm from Canada. And, yeah, (laughs) we got more Canadians here this time. All right. Um, If you are in Canada, if you are a Canadian citizen, 
You will live in accordance to the laws of Canada. Not the laws of America. We can't have guns in Canada. You cannot have a gun in Canada, so you will not have a gun in Canada, right? If you are a Canadian citizen, you will abide by its laws. You will abide by its customs and its standards. The way you speak will change. You will say A after every sentence, you know? Um, and bag. We have bags, not bags. We, we see dragons, not dragons. We drag our feet, not drag our feet, you know? Um, the way we speak changes. You know, wherever you are a citizen of, your life reflects that. And here Paul is saying, you are a citizen of heaven. So now behave as citizens of heaven. Behave in accordance to the laws and the customs and the standards of heaven. And he's saying, don't be moved. And in that same way, he's also saying, you know, even in your speech, even in the way you sing, you know, earlier, you know, I was so blessed by the way that Brother Anthony was singing. It's just the way he sings, he sings like he knows Jesus. He sings like a Christian. Sometimes, you know, you, you'll, you go to church and sometimes you just, you know, you don't really feel like praising the Lord. You just had a really rough day. But let's say some non-believer comes into the room and sees you praising and it's not much of a testimony, right? It's not much of a witness. It's like, I don't think they're saved, you know? But this is saying, you know, even the way you sing needs to reflect the gospel. It needs to reflect that you belong to Jesus. If you know you're a citizen of heaven, if you know that you belong to Jesus, act like you belong to Jesus. Sing like you belong to Jesus. Speak like you belong to Jesus. Dress like you belong to Jesus, you know? And he's saying everything, your manner of life, it includes even the way you work, even the way that you do business. All these things, let it all reflect. Be a testimony that you belong to Jesus, that you believe in the gospel. And so he's saying, let your life style align with the standards of heaven. Simply, he's saying, let your life be a response to the gospel. So like I said um, before, Paul, he lived his life in response to the gospel. He had a 180-degree change from persecutor of Christians to being a Christian who was persecuted. He didn't just get struck by the power of the gospel and just continue to live his old life, but he changed because of the gospel, because he was living in response to the gospel. How many of you in this room have seen the movie Les Miserables? Do you guys know the story? A lot of you guys know the story. Um, you know, in, in this movie, in this story, in this drama, um, there's a man named Jean Valjean, right? And he was in prison for a long time. He gets released, right? And he's, he doesn't have the right documents to get back into society. He doesn't have the credentials, the reputation, the background, or whatever to get back into life. And he stumbles upon this priest who's really kind, kind enough to give him a place to sleep. And then he decides, I don't want to give out, you know, give away everything if you haven't seen it, but um, he decides in the middle of the night to steal some of the silverware. I guess, you know, to us, silverware doesn't mean anything. But back then, at the priest's home, it was actually made out of real silver, and it's costly. Uh, so candlesticks and all this stuff, he steals them. He wants to take them. And then he, he leaves. He escapes. And then he's found by the authorities. And then the authorities bring him back to the priest's home. And he's like, I found the man that stole all your things. Here's the man, right? Just tell us and testify that this is the man that you opened up your home to. And then, and you know, We'll put him in prison. We'll take care of it. And the priest says, no, no, I gave it to him. 
Let him go. Let the man go. I gave him this. He didn't steal it from me. Let him go. I gave it to him. And so after that, Jean Valjean, he could have received that grace and just lived life as a thief, lived life as an outcast or whatever. But he was transformed. He was struck by that grace. And therefore, his life took a completely different route. And all of a sudden, he stumbles upon a, a lady named Fantine, Fantine, who's in need. And he, I'm not, I have a short-term memory when it comes to movies and stuff. I, I think every movie is a great movie, but I don't explain anything. I don't know the names of the characters. But from my memory, uh, he says something like this. He says, you know, the grace that I've been given, like this, this kindness that I've received, I can't not extend it. How, do, how can I li- go on living without responding to what's been given to me? You know, so he was a man who was living in response to what has happened to him, right? Um, another example, how, how many of you have seen the movie Masquerade? It's a Korean movie. Oh, man, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. But it's basically, it's a story of a king in Korea um, who figures that someone within the palace is trying to poison him to death. And so because, obviously, he doesn't want to die, right? He wants to escape, but instead of, like, making this, like, huge uproar and leaving the grounds, he wants to look for someone that can play his part, someone that might look like him. He's looking for someone that looks like him so he can play his part, so he can leave. And, and perhaps if someone's really trying to poison him, like the the guy with the mask, you know, whatever, um, he can die in his place or whatever, right? Um, and so they find this one guy that looks exactly like him. But he's like um, this the clown, I would say. What, what, why would you say that? You know, a clown. Like he, he entertains like royal people and he like, it's like a, 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 a jester, yes, like a jester. Um, a clown. <laughs> it's like a jester. And he, so he's like, you know, you know, having all these satirical plays and whatever about the king and stuff. And then um, the king's officials, they stumble upon this guy, and he says, he looks just like him. He can play the part. So he comes in as the king, and he's playing the part, but the, the king's bodyguard, you know, I don't know what else to call him, but he's like a bodyguard. He, he figures something's up with this king. He's like, something about him. I don't think he is the king. And he gets really suspicious. And then finally, he thinks he has evidence enough that this guy isn't the king. And so he draws a sword and tries to kill him. And then last minute, something happens. I won't give it all away. And like, it's like a mistake. He really is the king, right? Quote, unquote, is the king. And so this bodyguard is feeling like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And so he goes to the king and says, just kill me. Just kill me. I am not worthy to live. Like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I held a sword against you. Just kill me. I deserve to die. And then this fake king, um, he comes to me and he says, your life is actually precious. You can't die. Because if you die, I die. I need you to live. And so instead of, and you know, if, if you, that's kind of like treason. It's just, you know, blatant treason, right? Um, he probably did deserve to die according to the, the current day laws, right? But this new king says no and extends his grace and actually gives him purpose for what he's doing. And so after that, he's no no longer just a bodyguard, but he's actually like, he's compelled to really like get laid down his life for this king. And even later when he finds out that he really isn't the king, he's like, I don't care. 
this grace that you have given to me, it's transformed my life. And therefore I'm going to lay down my life for you. And you know, that's the power of the gospel in our lives too. But are our lives of our, is our life a reflection of the gospel? Do we really truly live in response to what the gospel has done for us? And that's my main question today. And that's what the question, that's the exhortation that Paul has for us today. Live like you know what the gospel has done for you. And a really good example that my husband was sharing with me earlier was, you know, imagine you had a debt of $100 million. Let's say a, a, a billion dollars, okay? You have a debt of a billion dollars. And there's no way in the world that you can ever repay that debt. But one day you step into the bank. And you look at your bank account. And it says that your debt has been cleared. And you walk out of the bank and some bum off the street, he just like, you know, bumps into you. You're not going to be like, what the heck? You know, like, you know, and start up a fight with him. It's like, your debt has been canceled. That's even more like something so much greater than winning a fight with this guy. Your mind is going to be set on the fact that a billion dollars worth of debt has been cleared for you. Nothing that you did, but all of a sudden it's just been cleared for you, right? Next thing you know, you go to the parking lot and you're, you're gonna, you're walking to your car and you find that your car is missing. Someone stole it. You're not gonna be like, oh, woe is me. I can't believe this happened to me. Oh my goodness. What am I gonna do? I'm so angry. Da-da-da-da. You're just gonna be like, well, I don't care. A billion dollars is out of my bank account now. <laughs> like that's all you're gonna be focusing on, right? Those things are so little in comparison to the grace that has been extended to you. In that way, as believers, We've had a debt that we could never clear on our own. It was a debt that would actually condemn us to eternal damnation. But the Lord has cleared that debt for us, and he's brought us into eternal life. And so he's saying, what is it if some ajama on the subway bumps you and pushes you, runs to the seat and steals your seat? Like, you know, what is it? Are you going to allow that to take away your joy? Or is your focus on the fact that the gospel is in effect in your life even right now. And Paul is saying, don't lose sight of that. He's saying, live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Everything you do, don't respond to those things that happen to you. Just remember, you are a citizen of heaven. Now act like one, right? Um, so I just explained to you what it means to behave as Christians, right? To, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. What Paul does not mean by verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he does not mean is that living a Christian life is all about being godly. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that it's all about living a less sinful life or living a better Christian life or being a better Christian or whatever. He's not saying that that's the goal of our Christian life. He's saying that actually that's only a means to a greater end and to a greater purpose. Because, you know, in this context, we've got to remember that Paul is all about the advancement of the gospel. Right? It's not about him for him. He's like saying, I just want Jesus to be preached. Right? And so he's saying, you know, living this godly life that reflects what the gospel has done for you, it's not about godly living, really. And, and the message I have for you today is that through this, God is telling us that our lives are really precious, that our lives are powerful, that our lives are probably one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that we can think of. 
When we live a life that really, truly responds to the gospel and reflects the gospel, people take notice. There's something different about Tao. There's something different about Julie. There's something different. What is it that is different? And people start noticing it. And then all of a sudden, hearts begin to melt. What is it about this thing called the gospel, the good news? What is this about this man named Jesus that makes them look so different? Why are they so peaceful? Why are they so filled with joy? There's so much, so much turmoil going around them, but what is it about them? And it opens their hearts. And Apostle Paul is telling us, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel because you don't want the way that you live to illegitimize the gospel. You don't want your life to be an oxymoron to what the gospel has done for your life because it closes people's hearts to the gospel. And so he's saying, not only is he calling us to godly living, but he's saying there's a greater purpose for that godly living. It's so that other people can also come under the power of the gospel. And he's saying your lives themselves are an evangelistic tool. And earlier at Sunday Swim, we were praying for increase, going beyond the progression, praying for 100 people at Seaside. This is a good size, but this is not where we want to stay. We want to see more people coming, right? It's not just about numbers. It's not just about having more friends, but it's about more people coming into contact with the true living God, coming in under the power of the gospel, right? And we're praying for going beyond the progression, but guess where that progression is going to come from, where that increase is going to come from. It's not just through prayer. Prayer is powerful, but understand that your lives themselves, your life itself is going to bring in the increase for this campus, for Seaside. It's going to be at your workplaces. It's going to be at your local bank. It's going to be at the restaurant that you go to every day or whatever it may be. You know, your life is actually going to be that very thing that opens hearts to the gospel. You know, and so you, turn to your neighbor and say, you are an evangelistic tool. You guys don't seem too excited. <laughs> Can you turn to your neighbor, your other neighbor, and tell them you are an evangelistic tool? You are an evangelistic tool. So, really, I want us to understand that in this context, Paul is not condemning us because we're not living godly lives. He's not saying, live a godly life, sin less. That's not his purpose. He's saying, do that so that the, the gospel may advance, so that there may be glory for Jesus, you know? So he's saying it's not the end, you know? And so he's not bringing condemnation upon us. If you're feeling, thinking about areas in your life where you have road rage, where you're not really reflecting, you know, you know like a gospel-centered life, Don't feel condemned, but understand that the Lord is actually wanting to empower you to understand that there is power and significance to your life that is actually powerful for the kingdom. Amen? And um, three results of living a life worthy of the gospel. It's really simple. It's in verses 27 to 28. But the first thing that we're just going to, it's just going to be an overflow of a life that lives in accordance to the standards of the gospel. And number one, it is, we'll be found standing firm in the faith. You know, if you think about, you know, standing firm in the faith, what does that look like? I mean, why would you need to stand firm? 
Like, imagine you're on a bus. Like, you know, ever have, like, no space to hold on to anything? You're just kind of, like, snowboarding on the bus, you know? And you're balancing, and you're really wanting to stand firm. But the reason why you need to stand firm is because there's so, so much opposing forces on you, you know? And the reason why you want to stand firm is because we got to understand there is going to be situations where we feel a lot of opposing forces in our lives, you know? And believe it or not, you know, it's... Everything that the kingdom stands for is in opposition to the, uh, the standards of the world. You know, so every day we need to stand firm. But I feel like here the focus isn't like Paul saying, stand firm in the faith. But he's saying, live a, God, live a life according to the gospel. And this is just going to be an overflow. It's just going to happen. Because if you're so centered on the gospel, so centered on what the Lord has done for you, it's not going to be hard for you to like, you know, kind of like want to balance and you know, come against opposing forces, right? And um, a really cool sort of quote that I came upon um, this week was uh, a quote by an early second century bishop named Ignatius. And he puts it like this. He says, stand firm like an anvil under hammer. It is like a great athlete to take blows and yet to win the fight. And then another, um, a theologian named Theodore Biza, he says, It is truly the lot of the church of God to endure blows and not to strike them. But the church is actually an anvil which has worn out many hammers. You know? And I want us to understand that when we stand firm, it's not like I'm on the defense. But understand that it's actually a, a mindset of victory. Is saying, you know what, I'm not going to be moved by the standards of the world. I'm not going to be moved by the values of my workplace. But I'm just going to continue to live according to the gospel. And you know what, I'm going to wear out those hammers. I'm that anvil. You can come against me with every force, but I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wear you out. And all of a sudden, the, the standards that you're living in begin to change and look more like the standards of heaven because you're standing firm, right? Uh, another overflow or a result of living a life worthy of the gospel, is we will be found striving side by side for the faith. When, when Paul says to stand firm, he does not imply that we just need to be on the defense all the time and, and you know, be completely inactive. But he's saying, I want you to actually strive forward. I want you to actually move forward. And he's saying that place of uncompromising values and convictions is actually a setup for you to actually move forward. And, you know, this letter wasn't written to deacons. It wasn't just written to overseers. It wasn't just written to pastors. It was written to the entire church, to all the saints. And, you know, this role of evangelism, it's not just for the church plant team. It's not just for the leaders of New Philly. It's not just for the campus pastors here. It's for everyone. Striving side by side, everyone together in unity, going out, hitting the streets of Busan, and evangelizing, preaching the gospel. And that's an overflow of understanding what the gospel has done for you. It's like Jean Valjean. You know the gospel. You know the grace that's been given to you, and you can't keep silent. you got to extend it. Right. And so Paul wants to see this to be uh, as an overflow of a life that really lives for the gospel. And that's what God wants to see when he when he looks down at seaside. He's going to be like, I want to see and I want to find a people that are going to be striving side by side for the gospel. You know, not only just like trying to be a good Christian in your work day and like standing firm, but actually advancing the gospel. Right. And so I want you to have that picture. You know, New Philly, we're a, we're an army of God. We're an army of mighty warriors. 
An army of mighty warriors isn't always on the defense. They take possession. They advance. And God is calling this campus to actually advance. Take a hold of the city. Go out. Strive together as one. Not just the team leaders and whatnot, but everyone together. Go out and and share what the Lord has done for you. It's just really an overflow. It's not an assignment, but it's an overflow. If you really live a life that responds to the gospel. Amen? Um, The third result or overflow of living a life worthy of the gospel is that you're going to be found unafraid of opposition to your faith. You know, and when we think about opposition or persecution, we always think about, you know, the believers in Muslim nations or, you know, we think about North Korean Christians and, and the persecution that they face, right? But I want us to understand also, in today's context, this um, context of opposition applies to us even now. You know, back then, we got to understand that the spirit that was behind that persecution was a spirit that was seeking to actually silence the voice of the saints so that they wouldn't preach the gospel. That's why they would intimidate them with physical persecution, with physical death, right? But that same spirit is upon our generation right now. And that spirit is there to silence the voice of the saints so that we don't speak forth the gospel and preach the gospel. And, you know, yeah, it's hard for us to relate to other Christians in the world who are being physically persecuted for the gospel. But I want us to understand that if you don't know the fight that you're fighting in, it's going to be a lost cause every single day. But I want us to know that we are facing that opposition every day in a different form. And, it, and back then, it might have been a fear of physical death. But right now, it's like a fear of a social death. If I open my mouth and preach the gospel, if I tell people that I love Jesus, and if I tell people to believe in Jesus, then you know what? They might cut me out of their social circle. It's a social death that I'm going to experience. Like, am I going to be, like, rejected for, my, for the gospel, for my beliefs? And we face that every day. If I stand up for the gospel... How are they going to respond? What does that mean for my social life? You know, so that spirit is still on this generation. It's in a different form. It might have a different face, but that's the opposition that we continue to face. And I want us to recognize that opposition that we face each day so that we can be victorious over them, so that we can actually be active and not just be on the defense, but active in preaching the gospel, right? Um. Really simple message, right? One-point sermon. What's that one point? Right. A life worthy of the gospel. And as simple as it might be, it can be a challenge. But unless you're intentional, it, it won't just come upon you one day. You know, and, you know, ever have those moments where you're not thinking of looking for something and all of a sudden it's like waving in your face and you just don't, it just still doesn't register. Like the other day I was um, out at a mall with my husband and um, there were two uh, girls from our campus, from Hillside campus who were like, like literally like standing right in front of me and they're just like, like this, right? And I'm just looking at the menu. We were at like Ben's cookies. Is that, is, yeah, Ben's cookies. I'm looking at the menu. I'm like, which cookie should I get? 
you know, and they're waving right here. And if my, if I was intentional, if I even had any intentions of looking for someone that I knew, I would have seen their hands waving, but I actually didn't see them until they touched me. And when they touched me, I was like, what the, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like, oh, it was like, oh, it took me a minute to like, for a few seconds to register. Like, I actually know this person. Who is this person? Oh, I know this person. Yes, I like this person. Hi, you know? And it took like a few seconds for that to register. And in that way, unless we're intentional about responding and living in accordance to the gospel, we're, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss opportunities for our life to be that evangelistic tool. All right? And so I just want to encourage you today and, and say that God really is going to bring increase for Seaside. And it's not going to be just through the, the pastors and the leaders of Seaside. It's going to be through you. It's going to be through the lifestyle that you live that lines up with the gospel and actually begins to attract people. We're going to see people from your hagwons. We're going to see people from your restaurants coming in. You know, you look at Pastor Caleb, and he's preaching here, you know, at Seaside. And then he goes, work, he goes to work at Sharky's. It's, it's a bar, right? You know, it is what it is. And it's just like, you know, he's the same here at the pulpit as he is at Sharky's. Like, it's because he's like not ashamed of the gospel. He knows who he is. He's not going to put up a front. He's not going to be like a Sunday Christian and then forget about the gospel. But the gospel is in effect in his life wherever he goes. And so, you know what? It comes to him naturally for Pastor Mina as well. In conversation, Jesus comes out naturally. And they don't go out with an agenda like, I need to preach the gospel, you know. But it's just, it just comes out naturally because it's part of their life, you know. And so God really wants to begin to use your life, your manner of life, the way you live, as actually a powerful tool to advance the kingdom, right? And so take it as a word of encouragement. God wants to increase Seaside. And he will increase Seaside through you specifically, through you individually, through you corporately as well as you guys all engage in this pursuit to advance the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.